Good morning. I greet you in Jesus' name. Welcome all of you, especially our visitors. It's good to see Davey and Hannah here. It's good to have other visitors as well. Welcome to our uh, time of worship. And as we get into God's Word, I trust that you can be fed and edified as well. We are just normal people here. And we serve an eternal, awesome, powerful, and almighty God. And that is who we want to glorify today in our time together. I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. This morning I'm going to attempt to preach a message that I don't know that I've ever preached before. Um, Maybe to my shame. But um, the message comes out of... um, The fact that this coming Wednesday evening we'll be having a special service, time of teaching on uh, liberation theology and what all that is. And Brother Vanson and Brother Kendall will be heading up that time. And I'm looking forward to it. And so, brothers, I'm committing myself to not overstep anything this morning. That's the last thing that I want to do is take anything away from what they want to share. But my vision or my goal, my heart's desire this morning for the message is to lay a foundation of truth so that when we talk about those kind of things, we understand what is actual and what is not, what is true and what is false. the message this morning is intended to clarify or or lay a foundational truth for what is coming this coming Wednesday night. And the title of my message is Clarifying the Gospel. Clarifying the Gospel in an age of obscurity, of distortion, and of embarrassment of the Gospel. Clarifying the gospel in an age when there's a lot of obscurity, a lot of distortion, and a lot of embarrassment about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my main text is Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I'd like to pray before we get into the message. Shall we pray? Our kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you in this moment, in this time, because we are human and we need your divine presence, your spirits enabling and your spirits leading and directing 
in the service this morning. Father, we recognize too that we are in a battle and, and that we have um, forces of evil of Satan that comes against us. And we are powerless against those unless you are here. And so would you come and protect us spiritually and physically as well as we go through the scriptures this morning. I pray for an open heart for each one of us. A receptive mind. A mind that will think and contemplate and understand truth this morning. I pray for your spirit to guide me for your honor and glory, so that truth and goodness and righteousness can be spoken. We commit ourselves to you, Father, and ask for your spirit to be present. And we will give you honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Probably many of you, or I should maybe say some of you, are somewhat curious or maybe don't quite understand why we have chosen or why we decided to have a special Wednesday evening teaching on liberation theology. And I'm aware that, and I, I say this, I say this uh, kindly, please don't take this wrong. But I'm aware that maybe in our circles, we have some naivety. We're a little bit naive sometimes about some of the teachings that are out there. False teachings that are very prevalent, even in Christianity today, that undermine truth, that are half-truths, that speak of good things but are not complete things in, in, in the gospel. And one of those is liberation theology. And so that's, Lord willing, we'll, we'll understand a bit more after Wednesday evening. I think Brother Kendall and Vanson will, will have some clarification as to that. But my goal this morning is to lay a foundation of truth uh, for us this morning. And to help us understand maybe a little bit of that, most of us have heard terms like social justice, how many have heard that term, social justice? I, I want to make it clear that the message is not political, okay? I'm not, even, I'm not even going to go into social things, but I do have to mention a few things to help us understand why it is important that we know truth about these things and what actual scriptural truth is so that we can live correctly. And so my burden is that we don't forget somehow that in the busyness of our life and in the rubbing of shoulders with people who, who question our, our salvation or the way we live in Christ and, and, and cause us to be shamed, ashamed of the gospel, that we don't lose the truth of the gospel. There is a big push in society today for social justice. Ibram X. Kendi, which if you've studied, 
or if you know anything about this, he is currently the um, the man that is the the go-to person when it comes to racial equity and racial anti-racism. And to give us an understanding of what we're up against as Christians, here's a, a quote from Ibram X. Kendi, which wrote several books, the last one of which is How to Be, anti, how to be an Anti-Racist. Now, if you understand what he's saying there, he's indicating that most people are racist. And he's saying we need to quit being racist. And I'm, I'm here to say that there is, there is racism. Like, there is. But his gospel, and the way he approaches it, and the way that the social justice movement is approaching it, is as follows. Listen to the quote. Anti-racists fundamentally reject savior theology. Which goes, the savior theology, which goes right in line with racist ideas and racist theology. Jesus was a revolutionary, and the job of the Christian is to revolutionize society. The job of the Christian is to liberate society from the powers on earth that are oppressing humanity. So, in a nutshell, that is liberation theology. Ibram X. Kindi wrote that. Actually, he, was, he, he said that in an interview. Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand something else. That interview was held at a church. That wasn't an interview that was held by a media source, but it was held in a church. He was invited to speak at a church, and that is what's being preached and taught in evangelical churches a lot throughout our nation, and it's undermining the true gospel of Jesus Christ. If you caught what he said is, if, if you're a racist, you cannot... Your, your savior... Your Savior theology, which is what we believe, correct? We believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He said that's racist and oppressive. Jesus himself was a, a radical and a revolutionary, and we as his children, his people, need to be the same, bringing equality and equity in the social realm. But is that the true gospel? Is that the true gospel? And that's my point this morning, is clarifying the true gospel. There is this truth as well in Scripture. And if you will, keep your fingers at Romans chapter 1 and turn over to Galatians chapter um, 1. And we'll read a portion of Scripture that tells us that this is nothing new. So ever since Jesus Christ came, and he says, in Matthew it says, and he began to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And throughout the New Testament, the, the, the word gospel being preached, or the gospel, the term gospel, is used well over a hundred times. Paul himself speaks repeatedly to the churches that he's ministering to. He says, I have come and I have preached the gospel, and it's through the gospel that you are saved. It's by that, that word of truth that you are saved. And Jesus himself brought that gospel here in real time 
by himself, through himself, to the earth. And the world has benefited from that. We'll get into that later. I'd like for us to read in Galatians chapter 1, just so you know that what we're facing today is nothing new. It's been around for centuries. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Paul is writing to the church. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach another gospel unto you, then that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. That's really, really strong language. Paul the Apostle is coming to the, the church in Galatia and saying, look, I don't know what's happening. Actually, he did know what was happening. But he's saying, there is another gospel being taught to you. And, and just for the record, just so we know, that that gospel was not necessarily a social gospel, but it was a, a judicial gospel, like Jewish gospel. So they were saying that in order for you to be accepted by God, you had to be circumcised under the, the law, the old covenant, covenantal laws of the Jewish nation. In order for, for these Gentiles, these, these non-Jews to be right with God, they had to follow some of the laws and the commandments of the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. And Paul's saying, not so. That is a perverted gospel. It is Christ and through Christ, by faith in Him and through His grace that we're saved. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's not get this confused with other things. Let's understand that they were saying that the law is still part of your salvation. The law is still part of your salvation. And Paul is saying that is a perverted gospel. Today, we can go all sorts of directions with that. And there's a lot of truth in that. But the focus today is that there is a lot of perverted gospels being taught and preached in churches today. And I am sad to say that it is actually coming into our circles. There are people within the Anabaptist belief and faith that are latching on to these things. And that's why we find it necessary to teach and preach on these things. Going back to Galatians chapter 1. In verse 9. And as we said before. So I, now, so I say now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you. Than that, which, than that ye have received. Let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. You just catch what he's saying there. If I'm preaching a gospel that is pleasing to men, if I'm preaching less than the true gospel of Jesus Christ, then I'm really not a true servant of, of him. I'm serving myself. And he says, anyone that does that needs, is, should be accursed, is accursed. Even if an angel preaches it, differently. And he may have been referring to fallen angels. We understand that 
biblical concept that Satan himself is a fallen angel. All of that. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after men. For I neither received it of men, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, uh, brothers and sisters, Paul is saying, in essence, that the perversion of the gospel is nothing new. It was happening way back then. And there's other passages and other churches that he wrote to warning them about the perversion of the gospel, false teachers coming in and teaching false things. The thing that is different today is the swiftness and the mode of which, by which the false teaching is received in today's world. We have, we have media and social media Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, that is readily available, that, that, that talks, people talk. They have a platform to speak these things. Back then, it was more localized, and it was happening locally in certain pockets of the world, and especially those places where Paul had come and had preached the gospel, and there was conversions, and there was churches planted, and then in that, in that pocket of believers, there was those that were beginning to pervert the gospel. Nothing new. It's as old as the gospel itself. However, I would like to this morning clarify what, is, what the gospel truly is. If I would ask you to define the gospel, if, if, I would, if, you, if you had to explain what the gospel of the kingdom of God is, or another way of saying is the gospel of Jesus Christ, Another thing, the term that we're more used to is salvation. The gospel of salvation, it's all the same thing. If I was to ask you to explain to the congregation, what, what is that? What all does that mean? If you, have, if you were asked to explain it to your neighbor, who is maybe seeking after God, who wants to know if there's a better way, how would you explain the gospel to him? Or, or your, your children, how do you explain the gospel to your children? How do you explain the gospel to your co-worker or your employee who needs to desperately know the gospel? How do you explain it? What do you say? What do we say? And those are questions that kept rolling through my own mind personally. How would I explain this? Like we generally know the gists of it. Because we've been raised in it, among it. We've been taught. Like it's, it's so much part of us that our young people and our children naturally understand it to a degree. But at the depth of it, what does it all mean? And has it really changed us? Is it continuing to change us? Those are things that I invite you to think about as we go through this, this morning. There are three things out of these verses that I'd like to focus on this morning. And I'm going to read the verses and then we'll go into these three things. For I am not ashamed, verse 16 of chapter 1. This is Paul writing. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein 
is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. What is the gospel this morning? What is the gospel in your mind? How would you describe it? How would you explain it to someone so that it makes sense? Do we understand the depth and the detail and the glory of the gospel? Most of us here this morning would attest that Christ is our Lord and Savior, that the gospel has become reality in our lives. And I want to assure you that I believe that's true. There's very little doubt in my mind this morning that there are, that most of us here understand what it means to be changed. But I also understand, because I've lived in it, I've lived it, that in the Anabaptist circles, we can, we can sort of glibly or unintentionally skip over the importance of the gospel because we're, we're so saturated with it. Like we hear it every Sunday. We live it out. We try to live it out. And that we almost forget the importance of it. And so, have we perhaps forgotten about it? What does Paul tell us that the gospel is? Three things that I want to look at. Two, two specific things and then, then there's a final thing that I want to call us to, that Paul calls us to in this passage. Paul here says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Verse 16. Which indicates that there is a need for salvation. That indicates the implication here is that there, there is something wrong with us or with mankind that says there needs to be some saving going on here. Something has to happen for us to experience this salvation. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, indicating that there is something that is lost, needs to be saved, needs to be corrected, made alive again. You know all the terms. What is that? Why is that? Why do you need to be saved? Why do I need to be saved? It says that the gospel is the power of God to do that. What is it that we need to be saved from? Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we all believe that. The thing that we need to understand in today's society, the push that is today is that that's not fair because what my problems are are as a result of someone else doing something to me. Therefore, I have a right to do wrong because they've done wrong to me. And I'm vindicated in that. That's the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament. All have sinned. The gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ points to each individual here and in the world and says, you have sinned. I have sinned. And I have come short of God's holiness and His glory. Therefore, 
I need to be rescued. I need to be saved from the oppression of my sin. That sin is not your fault. And, and your sin is not my fault. However, there are times that we sin against each other. And we cause issues that way. But my choice to sin against you is my fault. It's my choice. Your choice to sin against me is yours. And you will, you will answer for that and I will answer for that. And praise God, there is repentance and salvation in that. The gospel of Jesus Christ points to each individual that says, you are a sinner. I am a sinner in need of salvation. It's a singular gospel. It's not a social gospel. It's singularly pointed to each individual that has ever lived on the face of this earth. Romans chapter 5, verses, verse 12. For where, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. That's just following the verses that we read. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So I'd like to make a clarification here. Not only are we, not only are we to be saved or need to be saved from the oppression of our own sinful nature and the sins that we commit and the sins that are committed against us. Not only are we needing to be saved from that, we also need to be saved from future judgment. So it's a current and it's a future. Because God is going to judge the world and the sin according to His righteous judgment. And He will make the judgment call if we have not repented unto salvation, heeded the gospel call, we will stand before a holy God who says, I, I didn't know you. I don't know you because there is no relationship. There is nothing going on between you and me. So there's two things that the, that the gospel does. Two ways of salvation. It's a current ongoing sanctification, salvation process for you Christians, for us Christians. It is, it is, it is real-time salvation happening. It begins when we repent of our sins and, 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 and confess and ask Christ to forgive and to come into our lives. That's where it begins. And then it's an ongoing process of salvation and sanctification unto eternal glory. That's the final salvation. We haven't experienced that yet. Lord willing, someday soon we will experience that. And I trust all of us will be there. Not only is the gospel the good news of salvation, that delivers us from our sins and delivers us from future judgment. It is also the power of God in us. What is the power of salvation? What is that power? 
in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, the two, uh, 17 was one of the verses that we read. It says, For therein is righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. It took me a while to wrap my head around that. I'm still not quite sure I have it completely settled in my mind. But here's what I think Paul is trying to tell us. For therein, in the gospel, in the, 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 the power of the gospel is unto salvation, the power of God. For therein, in the gospel, salvation through the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. The power that is in the gospel is through the finished work of Christ on the cross. It is through His finished work. In that process, God provides in Christ righteousness for us. It is His righteousness that is imputed to us. And as we receive the gospel, as we repent, as we live changed lives for Him, that righteousness continues to be imputed to us. And that's why it says from faith to faith. It's a continual growth of sanctification until the final consummation of glory in heaven with Him. It's an ongoing thing. And without Christ dying on the cross, there would be no righteousness for us because we cannot produce our own righteousness. We cannot. There is nothing in us that produces righteousness. But God provides it through Christ for us. It is in the, that's the power that is in the gospel, in salvation, to live lives that are changed. It says, because the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. This implies that the power of the gospel of salvation is not only here and now, for us to be able to live a sanctified life, but it is sufficient for us to enter into glory with Him at the end of the age. The second thing that I'd like for us to think about out of this passage, it says this, It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not discriminatory. It does not discriminate against anyone. The social justice movement wants us to believe that they don't discriminate against anyone. They want us to believe that we are the ones discriminating against, and, and, and it happens. It does. Sadly so. But so does the social justice movement discriminate against. We're going to leave that there. You'll, you'll figure that one out. But the gospel of Jesus Christ does not. It says to the Jew first, and we could go into all sorts of theological important things there, and I'm not going to take the time this morning, but, but Paul, I would just say this, that Paul, Paul was very concerned about his fellow men, his fellow Jews. And everywhere that he traveled, he'd sought out a Jewish synagogue to preach in. He went and tried to teach Jews first. Then also to the Greek. And that's, a, that's just a term that says, look, it's for the Gentiles. 
to the Jews first and also for the Gentiles. There is no discrimination. It doesn't matter, brothers and sisters, this morning, where we came from. It doesn't matter the color of my skin, your skin. It doesn't matter what social status you have. It doesn't matter if you're the president or if you grew up on the wrong side of the track. It doesn't matter. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for all who will believe and repent. It is for all people. All people. Not just me. Not just you, because I have some kind of whatever. Status. It is all-inclusive. It is the great equalizer of all men and all nations. And it does not save because you or I are better. And it does not save because you are socially oppressed. No, it saves upon our repentance of our sins and receiving the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. It does not matter who we are. It only matters that we come to Christ in repentance. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but it is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that, we might, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no man despise thee. The third and final thing that I'd like for us to think about is, are you ashamed of the gospel this morning? Are you ashamed of this gospel that you and I claim has changed us? Are we ashamed? We go back to verse 16. The beginning of verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, which implies that it is possible for us to be ashamed of it. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So the question I ask us this morning, are we ashamed of the gospel this morning? Are you ashamed of the gospel? Why would we be ashamed of this glorious gospel? And Paul says he's not. And we can sit here perhaps and say, you know, it's easy for Paul to say that. Paul was called by Christ, by Jesus himself, to go preach the gospel. He was enabled, especially enabled to preach that gospel with, with authority to the heathen people, to the non-Jewish people. He had special commission. We don't. We're just common, ordinary Mennonite people. We can't. And all the while we forget that he was put in prison multiple times for preaching the gospel. 
Paul was beaten multiple times. He was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked because he was going. He says, I bear in my body the marks of Christ. The marks of the gospel. We forget that Paul suffered much. His own countrymen refused to listen to him and, 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 and accused him of preaching a false Messiah. Would not listen to him. His own Jewish brothers would not listen to him. The Greeks, the scholarly, the wise of this world called him a babbler. That's a lunatic. For preaching the gospel, he suffered for the gospel's sake. And he comes to Rome and said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not ashamed. And at the end of it all, he lost his head for the gospel. We have nothing on him. We have nothing on him. We have not even begun to suffer for the gospel. And yet we get ashamed of the gospel because... We get pushback from friends, from relatives, from co-workers, from people we're trying to minister to. And all of a sudden, we don't know what we believe in the gospel. That's being ashamed of the gospel. That's being ashamed of the gospel. Sometimes we're ashamed of the gospel because of what it has called us to. When it says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Sometimes we feel rather peculiar. I contend, brothers and sisters, that if the gospel of Jesus Christ has truly made a difference in us and is continuing to make a difference in us, then it's okay to be peculiar. It's okay. It's okay to be peculiar. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ, in Christ Jesus, shall suffer persecution. Did you know that? Brothers and sisters, this morning, because you are Saved by the gospel because Christ has redeemed you. You have the new birth. You will face persecution. Did you know that? How many of us sidestep the persecution? How many of us try to smooth it over so that it doesn't appear to others the way it ought to appear? I'm not talking about being abrasive or brash. I'm talking about living in joy. In the gospel. Standing firm. Not backing away. The world hated you, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 18. Ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye. And then I find it interesting. That's part of the Beatitudes. Jesus is teaching and he says, blessed are those that are persecuted for the sake of righteousness because they're living godly lives. And then he turns to the crowd and he turns to us this morning, personalizing it and says, blessed are you. 
when men shall speak evil of you and revile you and persecute you and say, shall say all manner of evil against you for my sake. For my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven because that's exactly what they did to the prophets. And their reward is in, the hev- in, he- in heaven. Do you understand what I'm saying here, brothers and sisters? Are we ashamed of the gospel? It has changed you dramatically. It's changed me. And I think it's continuing to change me. Can we not stand for truth? Will we stand for truth? And when false gospels come, will we know that it's a false gospel because we have understood what the gospel is and how it has changed us? How will we explain it? How will we live it? In closing, I have a summary of the gospel written out. You see, brothers and sisters, the problem that existed is that God created the world. And in that process of creating the world, he also created a garden. And in that garden, he placed a man. And he gave that man a specific command. And he told the man that if he would, if he would obey that command, he would have life. But he also told the man that if he would disobey that command that he would die. There would be death. That man, Adam, sinned by eating the fruit that he was commanded not to eat. He did not obey the command. And as a result of that, sin entered into the world. For by one man, sin entered into the world. And because of that act of sin and rebellion, all of us, have inherited the sin nature that was given back then. Because we have that sin nature, we sin. The world is broken and damaged because of our sin. And we stand before God who is righteous and holy. A God who, at the end of this age, will judge righteously. And there is part of us that wants to be justified, wants to be recognized, and yet there is nothing in us that can produce justification. If we would get justice, God would kill us. Did you know that? Justice demands that because of our sins, we die. We die. But God, in due time, in His love and His mercy, and in His righteousness, sent forth His Son, who was born of a virgin, who knew no sin, who lived an obedient life in real time, who who actually did not sin, who kept all the commandments, So that God could justify us through Christ. It is through His obedience. It says in Scripture that He made 
him who had no sin to become sin so that we could be justified. The just for the unjust. Christ died once for all that we might be called the sons of God. And Isaiah says, For all we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. But that didn't, that's not all. Christ rose from the dead on the third day. And in his resurrection is the power of life through justification through his blood. That righteousness that is in him is now imputed to us. He is just and the justifier of those that believe by faith. And now, brothers and sisters, and if you're here this morning and you have no idea what it means to be a Christian, so that now all who believe can enter into fellowship with God the Father, we become part of His family, take on His likeness, and become children of the Heavenly Father who are called to a peculiar calling to show forth His mercy to a world that has no idea that there is a good God, a merciful, a just, and a loving God. You and I are called to do that. That's the gospel, living out in real time in the world today through you and me. And in that process, we are both saved now and for eternity if we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Scripture says, for if you're ashamed of me, I shall also be ashamed of you. Brothers and sisters, it's a beautiful gospel, but it must be understood. We must live the true gospel. I invite you to pray. Shall we pray? Thank you, God, for your truth. Give us wisdom, Father, to understand what we're up against. I pray for our next generation, our young people, our children, who will face things that that we as older ones have not and probably won't. I pray that the truth of the gospel would penetrate into our hearts. And would motivate us and compel us to live godly lives without shame with courage, with boldness, with love for our fellow humans. And as we live, Father, out of this great salvation that you have provided for us, that we would recognize the importance of us to be your hands and your feet in society today. Because it's out of the gospel that we care for people. So would you help us, Father? We commit ourselves to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.